Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of Herb Duchenne Palsy found under the MSK section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A G1P1 woman gives birth to a boy at 41 weeks gestational age via vaginal delivery. Labor was prolonged due to shoulder dystocia, which required a forceps delivery. The child's APGAR scores were 8 and 9 at 1 and 5 minutes respectively. The child's weight at birth is 9 pounds 8 ounces. On exam, the baby's left upper extremity is notable for arm adduction, elbow extension, and forearm pronation. Let's continue with an introduction to Herb Duchenne palsy. Clinically, this is defined as a lesion in the upper trunk, meaning C5 to C6, of the brachial plexus leading to the characteristic quote-unquote waiter's tip deformity. In terms of the epidemiology, this is the most common neonatal brachial plexus palsy, and it occurs in approximately 1 per 1,000 live births. Risk factors include being large for gestational age, shoulder dystocia, forceps delivery, breech presentation, and prolonged labor. In terms of the etiology, there may be excess traction on the head away from the ipsilateral shoulder. This motion puts tension on the upper trunk of the brachial plexus. Common clinical scenarios include obstetric complications where traction on the head away from the shoulder during the difficult delivery occurs, such as in the case of a shoulder dystocia. Or there may be trauma where one may fall on the shoulder with the head bent away from the affected shoulder. In terms of the anatomy, remember that the upper trunk of the brachial plexus is made up of the C5 and C6 nerve roots, and its important nerve branches include the axillary nerve, which innervates the deltoid and teres minor, the musculocutaneous nerve, which innervates the biceps brachialis, the brachialis, and the coracobrachialis, and the suprascapular nerve, which innervates the infraspinatus and supraspinatus. In terms of the injury anatomy, there may be a lesion in the upper trunk which will weaken the muscles innervated by the axillary, musculocutaneous, and suprascapular nerves. This may result in weak arm abduction due to deltoid and supraspinatus weakness, weak shoulder external rotation due to teres minor and infraspinatus weakness, weak forearm supination due to weak biceps brachialis, and weak forearm flexion due to a weak biceps brachialis and brachialis. Conditions that are associated include clavicle fractures, humerus fractures, and shoulder dislocations. With regards to prognosis, unfavorable factors include a concomitant Horner syndrome, C7 involvement, and a cord avulsion. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include an infant that is unable to move the affected upper extremity. On exam, one may note the quote-unquote waiter's tip deformity. In this position, the arm is adducted due to abductor weakness. Remember that the deltoid and supraspinatus are strong abductors at the shoulder. The arm is internally rotated due to external rotation weakness. Remember that infraspinatus and the teres minor are external rotators. The forearm is pronated due to supination weakness. Remember that the biceps brachialis is a strong supinator of the forearm, and the elbow is extended due to flexion weakness. Remember that the biceps brachialis and the brachialis are strong flexors at the elbow. In terms of further imaging, remember that radiography is not routinely performed unless another diagnosis is being considered, 
such as a fracture or dislocation. Magnetic resonance imaging is also not routinely performed unless another diagnosis is being considered, and this is the preferred modality to fully characterize the lesion and may be used for preoperative planning. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about a clumpy palsy. Distinguishing factors include that this is a lesion due to C8 and T1 nerve roots, or the lower trunk, which is caused by an upward traction of the arm. It presents with a claw hand due to impaired lumbrical muscles. Specifically, this results in extension of the metacarpophalangeal joints and flexion of the proximal and distal interphalangeal joints. Also think about a radial head subluxation, with distinguishing factors being that this will present with subluxation of the radial head relative to the radial capitellar joint. This occurs in children 2 to 5 years of age due to excess traction on the arm, and the patient typically presents with the elbow held in slight flexion and pronation. In terms of treatment, non-operative options include observation and daily passive exercises. This is indicated in most cases of Herb Duchenne palsy since this will resolve with conservative management. However, remember that complete recovery may take up to two years. And lastly, complications related to Herb Duchenne palsy include joint contracture and a hemidiaphragm, as this may occur with a concomitant injury to the phrenic nerve. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to Herb Duchenne palsy, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 16-year-old boy is brought to the emergency department after being tackled at a football game. Per his mom, he is the quarterback of his team and was headbutted in the left shoulder region by the opposing team. Shortly after, the mother noticed that his left arm was hanging by his torso and his hand was bent backwards and facing the sky. The patient denies any head trauma, loss of consciousness, sensory changes, or gross bleeding. A physical exam demonstrates weakness in abduction, lateral rotation, flexion, and supination of the left arm, and tenderness of the left shoulder region with moderate bruising. Radiographs of the left shoulder and arm are unremarkable. Which of the following is most likely damaged in this patient? And the answer choices are Choice 1. C5 to C6 nerve roots Choice 2. C8 to T1 nerve roots Choice 3. Radial nerve Choice 4. Long thoracic nerve Or Choice 5. Ulnar nerve The best answer to this question is Choice 1. C5 and C6 nerve roots. This patient is displaying signs of Herb palsy, which is a deficit in abduction, lateral rotation, flexion, and supination following trauma, and this is due to lesions of the upper trunk, or the C5 to C6 nerve roots of the brachial plexus. Herb palsy, commonly known as waiter's tip, is due to injury to the upper trunk of the brachial plexus through a traction or a tear. It is commonly seen in infants, where lateral traction on the neck during delivery leads to the condition. However, in adults, the condition is due to trauma from motor vehicle accidents, falls, sports injuries, or prolonged pressure on the plexus. Patients often present with the classic waiter's tip physical position, where the arm hangs by the side and is rotated medially while the forearm is extended and pronated. Let's also discuss whether their choices are incorrect. Choice 2. C8 to T1 nerve roots are damaged in clumpy palsy, where the patient presents with total claw hand. 
this patient is not displaying such symptoms. Choice 3. Radial nerve damage often results from a midshaft fracture of the humerus and compression of the axilla. Patients usually present with wrist drop and loss of sensation of the posterior arm and forearm. Choice 4. Long thoracic nerve damage often results from surgery and stab wounds. Patients present with the wing scapula. Choice 5. Ulnar nerve damage usually results from fractures of the medial epicondyle of the humerus or the hook of the hamate. Patients usually present with the loss of wrist and medial finger flexion, along with the loss of sensation of the medial one and a half fingers. Finally, a bullet summary. Herb palsy is due to damage of the upper trunk of the brachial plexus, which is made up of the C5 and C6 nerve roots. That's all for this review about Herb Duchenne palsy. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.